0: who's in control of your brain. (laughs) Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Ann and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life and we do so by working on our own personal development so we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor and strong for our own personal well-being as we move forward in life and we learn more and more and more about what makes us humans. Really quite fascinating creatures. Today we continue our journey in the Molecule of More, a best-selling book written by Dr. Daniel Lieberman and Michael Law. Great stories in this book and great information. So let's dive right in on chapter two, which talks about that crazy drug called dopamine. What's it doing out there? Anyways, well, it starts out saying you want it, but will you like it? in which dopamine overwhelms reason to create consuming desire for the most destructive behaviors imaginable. Now, of course, it didn't start out that way, did it? But there's a big big difference, it says, between wanting something and liking it. Have you ever thought about that before? I don't know. So who's in control of your brain? At some point, everyone asks the question, why, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I make the choices that I make? On the surface, this seems like an easy question. We do things for a reason. We put on a sweater for cold. We brush our teeth for hygiene. We work so we can pay the bills to have a roof over our head. Hmm, but why? why do we do these things? The problem is that you can ask this question as long as you like. Why do we want to stay warm? Why do we care if we pay the bills? (laughs) Why? Well,
1: children are very good at asking this question, aren't they? (laughs) Because I said so. No, it's curiosity. Why? Why? Why?
0: The philosopher Aristotle goes on to say, played this same game, but with a more serious purpose. He looked at the things we do for the sake of something else and wondered if there was an end to it all. Why do you go to work, really? Why do you need to make money? etc.? right? Is there anything we seek for itself only, not because it leads to something else? Aristotle decided there was. He decided there was a single thing that lay at the end of every string of whys, and its name was happiness. Everything we do ultimately is for the sake of happiness, and happiness is in the pursuit. And I did that string thing because a little bit later on I'm going to make that connection. I don't know if Aristotle made that connection, but it's interesting. He goes on to say, it's hard to argue with this conclusion. After all, it makes us happy to be able to pay our bills and have electricity and (laughs) have clean teeth and educated minds. Happiness is the pole star, the north star, that guides our journey through life. When faced with a range of options,
1: we choose the one that leads to the most happiness. Except we don't. (laughs) What? Except we don't? Yeah, let's continue. Our
0: brains aren't wired that way. Think of a many people you know who just fell into their careers or who chose their college based on nothing but a gut feeling that it was the right one. Only once in a while do we sit down to consider our options rationally, weighing one against the other. Such an exercise is tiring work and the outcome is rarely satisfying. We seldom reach the point at which we can say with certainty, that we made the right decision.
1: It's much easier just to do what we want. So that's what we do. Mhm. And when we act that way,
0: when we live that way and we all do that in some way shape or form,
1: then that's when things start compounding. When you can say, "Wow, it's halfway through the year. What have I accomplished?" What you've accomplished
0: is what's compounded in the past five months. It's what's compounded in the last X amount of years that you've been alive, you've been working, you've been doing, you've been
1: creating, whatever you've been doing. But how many people actually plan on how they're going to proceed through life?
0: Well then, the next question is, what do we want? The answer depends on who you ask, what time of day it is. Sometimes people don't know what they want at all. Other times they want a lot of things at once, things they cannot have at the same time because they conflict with one another. Let me say that again. Other times they want lots of things at once, things they cannot have at the same time because they conflict with one another. And Oprah speaks to this quite eloquently. And I'm not quoting her verbatim, but she speaks to the fact that you can have everything you want. You just can't have it all at the same time. It's not physically possible. It's mentally not possible. I mean, unless you won the lottery and you already had
1: a list of exactly what you wanted, well, that was going to fulfill you and bring you happiness. That might be a different scenario. But
0: you can't have it all at once. And I think that's what really frustrates us humans, right? Because it's like, why? I want that and I want it now. They go on to say, Wanting or desire flows from an evolutionary old part of the brain deep inside the skull called the ventral tegmental area. It is rich in dopamine. In fact, it is one of the two main dopamine-producing regions. Like most brain cells, the cells that grow there have
1: long tails that wind through the brain. Long tails that wind through the brain. Aristotle, if you
0: recall, decided there was a single thing that lay at the end of every string of wise. When these long-tailed cells are activated, they release dopamine into the nucleus accumbens, driving the feeling we know as motivation. There is a scientific term for this. It's called for this circuit is the mesolimbic pathway. Although it's easier to simply call it the dopamine desire circuit. The dopamine circuit evolved to promote behaviors that led to survival and reproduction. You know, just our our survival instincts that really kick in. It's the desire circuit that's activated when you see the plate of donuts on the table. (laughs) And it's not activated by need, but by the presence of something attractive from an evolutionary or life standpoint. That is, at the moment that such a thing is seen, the circuit is activated whether or not you're hungry. That's the nature of dopamine. It's always focused on acquiring more of everything with an eye towards providing for the future. Hunger is something that happens here and now in the present. But dopamine says, "Hey, eat the donut, even if you're not hungry. It'll increase your chances of staying alive in the future. Who knows when food will be available next. That made sense for our ancestors who lived most of their life on the brink of starvation. So next time you're going to give yourself a hard time for eating that donut or whatever you have decided is going to make you happy in the here and now, just remember that little dopamine thing in that wired of your brain, a little string on your brain is actually driving you to think I need it for survival. Have you ever thought about it that way? If you let that sink in, then you can start taking control of your mindset a little bit different.
1: And the trick I use for my own personal self is I don't really have a sweet tooth, but I do know what a donut tastes like. And because our brains cannot tell
0: the difference between what's real and what's imagined, think about what great storytellers
1: we are. I tell myself, I already know what that tastes like. I can imagine what it tastes like. I can smell it. I'm salivating because I have that memory, but I don't have to eat it to get the same feeling. I'm not sure I'm explaining myself properly, but try it out on yourself.
0: Next time you're tempted to say, oh, just one more bite. Oh, just one more piece of pizza. Just remember,
1: you can tell yourself, I already know what that tastes like. And that can apply to anything you do. And it's hard work, but if you sit with yourself and you let that digest, figuratively, of course, then you can start tricking yourself into changing your habits. They go on to say, for a biological organism, the
0: most important goal related to the future is to be alive when it comes. As a result, the dopamine system is more or less obsessed With keeping us alive. It constantly scans the environment for new sources of food, shelter, mating opportunities, and other resources that will keep our DNA replicating. When it finds something that's potentially valuable, dopamine switches on, sending us the message, Wake up, pay attention, this is important. It sends this message by creating the feeling of desire and often excitement. The sensation of wanting is not a choice you make, it is a reaction to the things you encounter. Right? The anticipation. We talked about that last week. Yeah, so when you see something, and our ancestors were survivors, they would see some food, and they would remember where that, <laughs> those raspberries were growing, whatever it
1: was. And it was important. It was important because it was about survivor. But what happens when dopamine gets out of control? Dopamine can get out of control,
0: and it's usually our own doing that makes it happen. (laughs) Here's what they have to say. In a broad sense, saying something is important is another way of saying it's linked to dopamine. Why? Because among the many things it does, dopamine is an early warning system for the appearance of anything that can help us survive. When something useful to our continued existence appears, we don't have to think about it. Dopamine makes us want it right now. It doesn't matter if we're going to like it or even if we need it at the moment. Dopamine doesn't care. Dopamine is like the little old lady who's always buying toilet paper. It doesn't matter if she has thousands of rolls stacked in her pantry. Gratitude is you can never have too much toilet paper. So it is with dopamine, but instead of toilet paper, dopamine urges you to possess and accumulate anything that might help keep you alive. Anything that'll help keep you alive. We are survival people, aren't we? It's amazing. So if you're under normal circumstances, dopamine activation in the desire circuit triggers energy, enthusiasm, and hope. It feels good. In fact, some people spend the majority of their lives pursuing this feeling. A feeling of anticipation. A feeling that life is about to get better. You're about to eat a delicious dinner, see an old friend, make a big sale, or receive a prestigious award. Dopamine turns on the imagination, producing visions of a rosy future. What happens when the future becomes the present, when the dinner is in your mouth and your lover is in your arms? The feeling of excitement, enthusiasm, and energy dissipate. Dopamine has shut down. Dopamine circuits don't process experience in the real world, only imaginary future possibilities. Think about that. Imaginary future possibilities. That's why you can use the power of your own thoughts to help you control it just a little bit. It takes a lot of practice. Trust me, I'm still working on it. (laughs) It takes a lot of practice. But what about drugs? Where do drugs come into the big picture? Drugs destroy the delicate balance that the brain needs to function normally. Drugs stimulate dopamine release no matter what kind of situation the user is in. That confuses the brain and it begins to connect drug use to everything. After a while, the brain becomes convinced that drugs are the answer to all aspects of life. Feel like celebrating? Use drugs. Feeling sad, use drugs. Hanging out with a friend, use drugs. Feeling stressed, bored, relaxed, tense, angry, powerful, resentful, tired, energetic? Use drugs. People in 12-step programs, such as Alcoholics Anonymous, say that addicts need to watch out for three things that might trigger craving and topple them into relapse. People, places, and things. Now, these cues that you have, they're for good habits and for bad habits. And for some reason, it's so much easier to use them for bad habits. (laughs) Oh, I'm at a wedding. I I must have a glass of champagne, mustn't I? that's a cue. Versus, hmm, I want to exercise this morning. Why don't I just look at my runners and magically put them on? Isn't that a cue? That's where it takes practice, practice, practice. And the darndest things can trigger people for those cues. And this book goes into great detail about different scenarios and different people and what made them trigger people, places, and things. And they have a really interesting interview here from Patrick Kennedy, the former U.S. representative for Rhode Island. He actually had a little bit of a drug use problem, and he was interviewed by Leslie Stahl in the 60 Minutes interview. And he says, when he spoke of the need to use, even in the absence of pleasure, There's no partying there. There's no enjoyment. This is about relieving the pain. People have this mistaken notion that you get high. What you're really doing,
1: what you're really getting is relief from the low. Goal achieving or tension relieving. I think Brian Tracy said that. But that's what came to mind as soon as I read that quote. You you're, you're, you have a low in your life, and you're looking to sedate it, really. I find that fascinating, too. Go on to say, When an expected
0: reward fails to materialize, the dopamine system shuts down. In scientific terms, when the dopamine system is at rest, it fires at a leisurely three to five times per second. When it's excited, it zooms up to 20 to 30 times per second. And when an expected reward fails to materialize, the dopamine firing rate drops to zero. And that feels terrible. (laughs) That's a low. That's why a dopamine shutdown makes you feel resentful and deprived. It's how a recovering drug addict feels every day as he struggles to get clean and sober. It takes an enormous amount of strength, determination, and support to overcome addiction. Don't mess with dopamine. It hits back hard. That is, just slap me in the face right there, that is reality. And the more we know about these things, the more we talk about these things, the more we understand the science behind what makes us tick. More control we can take in organizing our own minds, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> Let's go on. Book goes on to give
0: many examples on different levels of addiction. Uh, whatever
1: it is. Could be food, could be alcohol, it could be cigarettes, it could be drugs, etc. Whatever it is is all happening in the same way in our brains. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's an addiction, that's the dopamine kicking in,
0: right? So, I'm not going to go into great detail about each particular one. I recommend you buy the book if you want more detail on that. But here's how it summarizes. Dopamine versus dopamine. It's natural to confuse wanting and liking. It seems obvious that we would want the things that we will like having. That's how it would work if we were rational creatures and, despite all evidence to the contrary, we persist in thinking that we are rational creatures, Mm, but we're not. Frequently we want things that we don't like. Our desires can lead us towards things that may destroy our lives, such as drugs, gambling and other out-of-control behaviors. The dopamine desire circuit is powerful. It focuses attention, motivates, and thrills. It has a profound influence over the choices we make. Yet, it isn't all powerful. Addicts get clean. Dieters lose weight. Sometimes we switch off the TV, get off the couch, and go for a run. What kind of circuit in the brain is powerful
1: enough to oppose dopamine? Dopamine is dopamine opposing dopamine. The circuit that opposes the desire circuit might be called the dopamine control circuit. You may recall
0: that in many situations, future focused dopamine opposes the activity of the here and now circuits and vice versa. If you're thinking about where to go for dinner, you're probably not appreciating the taste, smell and texture of the sandwich you're eating for lunch. But There's also opposition within the future-oriented dopamine system itself. Why would the brain develop circuits that work against each other? Wouldn't it make more sense to have everyone pulling together, so to speak? In fact, no. Systems that contain opposing forces are easier to control. That's why cars have both an accelerator and a brake, and why the brain uses circuits that counter each other. Haha, you've got the power, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not surprisingly, the dopamine control circuit involves the frontal lobes, the part of the brain that's sometimes called the neocortex because it evolved most recently. It's what makes human beings unique. It gives us the imagination to project ourselves further into the future than the desire circuit can take us so we can make long-term plans It's also the part that allows us to maximize resources in that future by creating new tools and using abstract concepts, concepts that rise above the here and now experience of the senses, like language, mathematics, and science. It's intensely rational. It doesn't feel because emotion is a here and now phenomenon. As we will see in the next chapter, it's cold calculating and ruthless, doing whatever it takes to reach its goal. Wow, are you excited about the
1: next chapter?
0: <laughs> this is fascinating. This is a free education to anybody and everybody who really wants to understand themselves or other people. And what makes us humans tick? Because if you inform yourself with knowledge, wisdom of other people, you will live a more inspired life. Well, if you like the show, share it with somebody you know, and hey, hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss the next chapter.